I also start a next series or, next, or a new series next week. We're going to push pause on Ephesians. I'm going to uh, talk for a few days or a few weeks on the whole concept of being neighbors, uh, loving the world next door. And uh, as we uh, kind of head into our year uh, here, as things have gotten going with school and stuff like that, I want us to be reminded uh, that this is the, the command of Scripture. It is, it is God's greatest command to love him as, uh, with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. We're going to talk about that, and I'm excited to do so. Let me pray for you. Or pray, well, I will pray for you, but I will pray with you as well as we enter into God's word. Lord, thanks so much for a chance uh, to open your word now and to hear from you. I pray that's what happens. Uh, push me aside, speak in my place. Inspire us with your blessings. Uh, Lord, I don't know where people are right now, if they've come into this room uh, kind of dragging, if life and its circumstances are overwhelming them. Uh, would you, uh, uh, for those of us who are in Christ, for those of us who know you, and even for those of us who don't know you yet, would you lead us uh, into a time where we reflect on your goodness and your grace and your blessings to us? And when we walk out of here, Lord, excited for life with you, despite our circumstances, whatever they may be. Uh, bless the reading and the preaching of your word, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Grateful for Travis being up here last week. He just continues to uh, preach with the power of the Spirit. And so thanks to him as, we, uh, as I took a, a week off. I'll tell you why I was off. I had some buddies from Texas that I've uh, known for 25 years, served in youth ministry with them. They were part of my life group when I was there in Texas. And uh, they uh, actually decided to come in for a weekend. And so uh, I hung out with them. And surprise, surprise, we golfed a little bit. Uh, and on, on this one particular day that I was golfing with my friends, I saw something that does not normally happen in a, a normal round of golf. Does anybody want to guess what it was? I saw a hole-in-one. I have never done one. I've never been the, uh, the shooter of a hole-in-one, but I've seen two. And I'm jealous of both of those guys uh, that have uh, managed to do that. Uh, but uh, uh, the guy that I was with, his name's Warren. Warren's, uh, you know, uh, uh, on, a, on a normal day, a very dignified, successful businessman. He's the vice president of sales for a huge company uh, here in our country, uh, and he is a very successful guy. Put together, right? He's 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 a goof if you get to know him. But but on on the surface, he, you know, he looks like he's got his stuff together. And uh, but but I saw him come completely unglued as this ball bounced on the green and started trickling towards the hole and then disappeared. My, my distinguished gentleman friend went completely loopy. Has anybody seen this happen? Like he just kind of came, you know, apart at the seams and he couldn't form words, you know. He, he, he was, uh, you know, trying to say yeah and woo and all these things at the same time and just kind of came up, boo, you know, and, and uh, uh, it was so fun to watch. And it made me think, I wish I had shot that shot, uh, but it also made me think, that's the state that Christians should perpetually live in. Follow me. I'm not saying that every day you wake up and emotionally you are spiked to 11, you know, all the way up to, you know, I mean, I'm not saying that emotionally that can happen, but internally, as we reflect on what we have been given in Christ, we should exist in a perpetual woo-hoo for the ways that he has blessed us in life. Maybe don't yell that stuff out in your workplace or at school. That might get you in trouble. But as you think through life, remember the words that we talked about on the first week of this series that we're calling woo-hoo. In uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, we learn this from Paul. He says this to the Ephesians. Blessed, 
Speak well of is what that word means. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We should worship God and praise God. Why? Because he has blessed us in Christ. We're going to be talking about that more today. He says that a bunch. In Christ. With what? With every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Here on earth, God has bestowed upon those who are in Christ every spiritual blessing that we can expect to experience when we leave this earth and spend eternity with him. Now, it's not the same because we lived in a broken, messed up world. Has anybody notice that? But we have on board every spiritual blessing. We have in us, in the spirit and in Christ, we have the potential to experience every spiritual blessing. Paul says, woohoo. Blessed be the God and the Father who has given us this. We've talked about those. He goes on in this, this first part of his letter to the Ephesians that he basically just outlines for us a few of these blessings. There's so many more, but, but he talks about, and we talked about in the second week of this series, that we are blessed because God has chosen us. He predestined us. We have chosen him because he first chose us and appointed us to be his children, to be adopted into his family. Last week, uh, Travis just knocked it out of the park talking about how fa- the fact that we've been blessed with redemption. That God has redeemed us. Today, we want to talk about this last um, blessing here in this one sentence run. It's 11 verses long, no punctuation. Paul just gets going, gets excited, and just talks about all these spiritual blessings. And today, we talk about this last one the blessing of inheritance. Now, read with me aloud these verses here uh, that we're going to study today. Verse 11 of Ephesians chapter 1 In him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. May God bless the reading of his word. Well, what Paul says there is that we have an inheritance. We understand that. We're in a culture where inheritance happens. Maybe your parents have gone on uh, to be with the Lord, uh, and they've left things behind for you. Uh, perhaps a, a long-lost uncle. You know, that's, that's everybody's dream, right? That, that long-lost uncle who won the lottery, you know, and leaves it all to us. We've all spent that in our heads a couple times, right? But that we understand inheritance, and, and God has given us, his children, his sons and daughters, if we are in Christ, if we are Christians, we have been granted an inheritance. He's not only given us himself for the now, but he's prepared for us a future with him that we have to look forward to. When I go to funerals, uh, for those who are in Christ, it's a sad, happy time. Sad time because they're no longer here. It's a happy time because they've upgraded, Right? They've gone to life 2.0. They've experienced this inheritance that comes according to the promises of God. We will, those of us who are in Christ, will exist forever with Christ, co-heirs of his kingdom as heavenly residents. So Paul says, blessed be our God who has given us all the spiritual blessings, and one of them is this inheritance. What enables us, answer a couple questions today, what enables us to inherit from God? What is it about us that, uh, you know, wins us this inheritance? Is there something that we've done that somehow, you know, computes to us deserving what God has given us? Quick answer to that, no. 
In fact, uh, Paul tells us uh, how it is that we've been enabled to inherit it. We, we inherit because God chose to let us inherit. He goes back to that same thing that we talked about a couple weeks ago. Look what he says in verse 11. Read it, you don't have to read it out loud with me. But he says, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been what? Predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. This is the idea of, uh, of his good pleasure, of his, of his desires. God foresaw and, and, and chose and predestined those who are with him to experience or to receive this inheritance. It's not because of what you and I did. It's because of his bidding. Uh, we made the will according to God's will, so to speak. It was his choice, choice to adopt me, and therefore it's his choice that I should inherit from him. Uh, when I was leaving to go to Dallas from uh, where I was living in central Illinois, my father, who uh, has gone to be with the Lord, uh, hadn't at the time, but my father came to me right as we were about to get in the car and start driving. And uh, he was holding something, it's now in my hand, and he said, Mark, listen, uh, you know, I'm not going to wait for you to get this, you know, after I'm gone. I'm just going to give it to you now. Uh, and he handed it to me, and I was like, oh, cool, a book. But, uh, but it's a special book. It's uh, Spurgeon's Sermons, the second series. It's copyrighted 1867. It's a signed copy. <laughs> yeah, some of like, yeah, you know who Chuck is. It's good. Um, Spurgeon is, if you don't know, is, is a uh, historic figure in the church. He was a an evangelist and preacher in England, famous uh, for his theologies and, and uh, written about and, and read uh, thoroughly in the Christian church. And so didn't know we had this, but my family came over from England uh, during the colonial uh, war and uh, settled in Canada. Sorry, we didn't sign with the States. But uh, uh, as, as, as uh, you know, more of our family uh, came from England to Canada, they, they brought with them their treasures, and somehow this got into my dad's family and my dad's hands. And so I took the book from my dad, and I said, well, yeah, of course you're giving this to me. How awesome am I? Am I? I mean, I deserve probably more than this, Dad. What else you got? Is that what I said? No, because that's just dumb. I was uh, immediately esteemed, humbled, uh, I try not to open this. It's a, I try not to take it off my bookshelf, actually. It's, it's, a, it's a relic, right? And uh, it was mine not by my doing or by my deserving. It was mine because my dad chose to give it to me. Uh, you and I have this inheritance in Christ at the bidding of our Heavenly Father. What's the bottom line, then, in this inheritance that we have from God? What, if we had to kind of boil everything that down, what is this inheritance all about? And, and some people, when they're asked that, your first reaction might be, well, God wants me in heaven. He, he loves me and he wants me to be in heaven. And you wouldn't be wrong because, indeed, that's exactly why you are chose, chosen and adopted and an inheritor, an heir of the, uh, of the eternal heaven that we look forward to. But that's not the bottom line. That would make us the center of God's will. Uh, the apex of his hopes would be our um, being okay. And, and listen, he wants us to be okay. He loves us. But that's not what he exists for. In fact, our salvation and our inheritance is uh, all wrapped up in pointing to his glory. What's the bottom line of the inheritance that we get from God? It's we inherit for God's glory. That's what Paul says in the next verse. He says, you've been given this inheritance, predestined according to the good counsel of God's will, so that uh, you, we who were the first to hope in Christ, what's the next phrase? Might be to the what? To the praise of his glory. Christianity isn't for the Christians. Primarily, Christianity 
is so that the Christians can glorify their God in their salvation and in receiving their inheritance. Uh, we see here some pronouns we're going to discuss. Uh, Paul says, so that we, who's we? Well, we who are the first to hope in Christ. Okay, that helps us refine it. Maybe that means Jewish Christians, which some scholars think that's exactly what he means because in the next chapter he's going to talk about the differences between Jews and Gentiles and how we've been made one in Christ. So maybe Paul's kind of throwing himself in the lot with all the other Jews who became Christians first because that's where Jesus went first, Israel, right? Maybe he just means we who are kind of the previous Christians, the ones who came to Christ before you guys in Ephesus did. Whatever the possibilities, well, the bottom line is that his meaning is still the same. All of us, not just those who are first to hope in Christ, but all of us who come to Christ, we come to Christ so that God can be glorified and he can get the, uh, the worship that he deserves. Had nothing to do with us. It's not about us. It's about him. This kind of goes to reason. I mean, um, when we have a, a heroic thing happen in our society, we don't celebrate the saved. We celebrate the Savior. Like if a kid, you know, comes from the north, he's down here vacationing on Madeira Beach and and for whatever reason, there's been a storm out in the Gulf, and there's this huge riptide, and, and all the signs are saying, don't go swimming, but the kid from the north is only here for a week, so he's going swimming, doesn't matter what. And so he sneaks out, and his parents don't know he's gone. He starts swimming there off the beach, and of course, the riptide does what a riptide does, and it sucks him out into the water. And it just so happens that, you know, uh, Mitch from, you know, Baywatch is walking along. Uh, David Hasselhoff is visiting, and uh, maybe not. Anyway, he looks out into the surf. And whoever this guy is, he sees this kid in trouble, and he knows it's going to be trouble if he goes out there too, but he can't just let the kid die. So he swims quickly out to this kid, and he's uh, trained, you know, he's a stud. He, he, he wraps this kid up, and he drags him into shore. And by this time, a commotion has been, you know, uh, you know raised up on shore, and all the parents, of, you know, the parents of this kid, and everybody from the condos around are gathered around. The, the authorities have been called. The ambulances are there, and the news trucks arrive. And the news trucks line up to talk to this kid as he's spitting red tide out of his, his lungs, right? And they're saying, son, tell me, how did you do it out there? I mean, you read the signs and you went swimming anyway. What was up with that? Is that, is that? is that who's getting all the news? No, no one's talking to the kid. The parents are preparing his grounding for the rest of his life, right? And everybody wants to talk to, to Mitch, to the Savior. Why? Because the glory goes to the Savior, not the saved. We who are saved didn't follow the signs. We uh, refused to obey our Heavenly Father. We snuck around and thought we knew better and tried to experience life in ways that He did not endorse. And we got stuck in the riptide of sin, and God sent His Son, Jesus, to be our Savior. And He's pulled us from the clutches of death. And so He, the Son, and his father who sent him, they're the ones that get the glory. Now, I love uh, watching the lights come on with people and they understand this. A guy this past week, that rose that's on our stage, uh, he came to trust Jesus Christ. And I was talking to him, uh, you know, uh, as, as he was making that decision. And, and he was outlining for, for me just, you know, everything that's gone on in his life previous uh, to, the, to the past year or two. And then everything that's gone wrong in his life. You know, not everything, but a lot of the things that had kind of got him to the point where he was interested in God and church again. And he, he started coming to our church and hanging out and, and just got swept up with the excitement of just hearing about Jesus and understanding grace and, and, and just sensing and feeling that he needed to know more. 
He even, he even found out uh, other life groups. He's in our life group on Thursday morning, but he's like, uh, you know, he, he, I was meeting with him Thursday morning. He's like, man, I just wanted to be around it some more. So I found out when, when the Wednesday men's group was, and I went to that. I said, well, you understand what's happening, right? The Holy Spirit is drawing you to himself. He's like, yeah, I can feel it. I was like, well, you understand that this whole thing with God starts with a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not just, you know, you orbiting the story of our God. It's you landing in a relationship with Jesus. And so I started talking to him about that. I said, listen, man, you can do this anytime. You can, and, and if you're sitting here right now, you can trust Christ at any time, any place. Like you can sit in a Cracker Barrel with your eyes open and pray to receive Christ. And I started saying, if you want to do that, you can pray this prayer. And I, and I just said, dear Lord. And all of a sudden, he sang it right after me. Dear Lord. I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm a sinner. I mean, he prayed every word from his heart. And we walked through this, the, the prayer that leads a person to faith in Jesus Christ. And on that morning, my friend became a Christian. And we finished, yeah, it was great. And we finished, and you could just see it in his eyes. Has anybody ever seen the Holy Spirit showing up for the first time in someone's eyes? Where he just knew. He said, I got a tingle. I said, yeah, you do. That's the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. And God did that for him, and God did that for you, whether you were six and sitting in your bedroom praying with your parents, or whether you were 60 and recovering from a drug addiction. He did all of that for you. Certainly so that you can enjoy a relationship with him here on earth and an eternity with him forever. But he did it most of all because he is awesome, deserving of our praise. He's our savior. Let's give him the glory. Amen? <clears throat> now, by what means did we come by this inheritance? How, how did this inheritance happen? Uh, how, how is this inheritance secured? How is it? given to us. And this is where we get to this whole concept where Paul, uh, over and over again, not just here in Ephesians, not just here in these first 14 verses, but over and over again in his writing, talks about us being in Christ. We became heirs in Christ. I read some of the scholars that uh, I read a lot of times before I get ready to preach to you guys. And, and one of those scholars this week says, you know what, we, we've taken this label as, as, as being Christians. And that's, that's a good, it basically means like we're Americans or we're Christians. It means we're, we're from a, a, a person, we're from Christ, and we're carriers of Christ. We represent Christ. Christian's a fine term. Anybody here think of themselves as Christian? But the, the culture kind of takes terms and it, it makes them mean something that they're really not. Or, or it kind of adds meanings to them so it dilutes the original meaning. So, so Christian in the, in the world that we live in, a lot of times means American or Western. Because the Western civilization is marked and shaped by Christian history. And so when people think of Christians, they think of residents of the West. Uh, they could, they, Christian gets thrown on all kinds of people that I wouldn't say are truly Christian because they don't understand what it is to be in Christ. If you and I have prayed to receive Jesus, we, we've usually used the words that I asked Jesus into my, and, and Jesus is in me then. That's our thinking. But when Paul thinks about it, he doesn't think about Jesus residing in us. He thinks about us being in Christ. Nine times in these first 14 verses. He alludes to that idea. Look, look at him. It shows up here in this verse that we're reading right now. In him, in Christ, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. In verse 13, which we're going to get to in a second, in him, in Christ, 
You also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed in the promised Holy Spirit. You go back to verse 3. We read that earlier. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, there it is, in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. In verse 4, he says this. He did this even as he chose you in him, in Christ, before the foundation of this world, so that you should be holy and blameless before him. In verse 7, Travis read this one last week. In him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood. Yeah. Would it surprise you to know that as Paul continues to write most of the back of your Bibles, 169 times by one count, he refers to people who have become Christians as those who are in Christ. We are heirs because we are in Christ. What does it look like then to be in Christ? Well, what's this whole in Christ thing about? Well, there's a whole bunch. I'm not going to get through all of them today, but let's start with some things that are super important. One, in Christ, we've been radically transformed. Probably a lot of you can quote this from memory, but in 2 Corinthians 5, uh, verse 17, it says, uh, Therefore, if anyone is, say it with me, in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. I love this first phrase because there's no nouns. It literally says, if any man or woman implied, if any man in Christ, new creation. It's like Tarzan or Tonto wrote the Bible, right? He's just so excited, he doesn't even bother with syntax. He just, he says, uh, man in Christ, new creation. It's, it's what in Christ is about, or it's what our being in Christ means. We're new. And it says that the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come, and the new will continue to come. It's the Greek perfect tense, which stresses uh, something that has happened in the present that will continue to remain for all time. In, in Paul's other letter to the Corinthians, Corinthians, he says this in chapter 15. He says, as in Adam, our earthly father, uh, sin came in and all died, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. We used to be in Adam, but we have moved by faith in Jesus to being positioned in Christ. And that's not just this one initial uh, uh, resuscitation, this one initial resurrection. It's not just us being made live, alive once. It's us being made to live. Not just made alive in Christ, but made to live in Christ. Our everything is from him. Our everything is for him. And our everything is in him. The former president of the Princeton Seminary, before it got all wackadoo, said this, John A. McKay, he said, Jesus is the soil in which we grow, the atmosphere which we breathe. He's the source and the goal of our entire existence. That's what it is to be in Christ, is to understand that I am the plant, planted in his soil, and he's, he's my, my source. I am uh, the, the, the being who breathes him. He's the source and goal of my entire existence. We sing that in here. It's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise, right? Back when I was a youth pastor, we had this one song, um, you are my all in all. It was really easy to play on the guitar. That's why I played it all the time. But it's a great text because when we think about the all in allness of our Savior, what we're saying is, is that I am in Christ. You're not just in me. I am in you. My existence resides in Christ. In Christ, we've been, the second thing is that we're not just made new, but in Christ, we've been dynamically united to Jesus and to each other. 
In the next chapter of this same letter that Paul wrote to the Ephesians, he says this in verse four, it starts like this, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, that's the whole first part of the second chapter, we were dead, we were enemies of God, we were a hot mess, we were in the riptide of our sin, even when we were dead and had nothing, had nothing available to us to, to, to solve our problems, uh, we were made alive together with Christ. By grace we've been saved. And we were raised up with him and seated uh, with him in the heavenly places. And then he wraps it all up with this seamless, seemingly unnecessary phrase, but he wants to make sure that we get it one more time. All of this is possible. The grace of God in your life, you being rescued from your sin is possible because you have been placed in Christ Jesus. It's not a picture of Jesus riding shotgun like Carrie Underwood wants us to think. Jesus, take the wheel, right? That whole thing, whatever that was. No, don't think of Jesus as your shotgun, where if you get into trouble, you can have him take the wheel. That's not how Jesus rolls. Don't think of Jesus as the person who carries you, like in those posters that I used to see in bathrooms of Christian Households when I was growing up, the footprints thing. Remember that? It was this, you know, there's two sets of footprints walking along. If you love this, I'm not, I'll try to be kind. But there's two sets of footprints walking along, and then all of a sudden there's only one set of footprints. And, and you know, Jesus, I knew that we walked together through life on this pretty beach that's in this picture. What happened in that? Well, then those one times when there was only one set of footprints. What happened when there's only one set of footprints? Well, it was in that time that I carried you. Anybody ever heard this one? You know what I'm talking about, right? But in both of those pictures, the Carrie Underwood song, the Footsteps poster, Jesus is here. It's like my buddy. And certainly he is. Our brother, our, we're, we're co-heirs with him. He is, he is alongside of us in some sense. But, but we need to go further. We don't need to just have Jesus as our tag team partner and we tap him in when we're getting pinned. We need to understand that we are in Christ. When you put your faith in Jesus, you cease to exist in Adam or in yourself, and you became someone who exists in Christ. I used to, <laughs> back in the days of my angry Baptist years, uh, we got rid of the television for a long time because that, that squawk box was the devil, right? And it still is kind of. I shouldn't you know, mock. There's probably lots of things that we could be doing better with our time than watching the news or... Uh, other things. That's always a comforting time. Anyway, um, but back when I was a kid, TV was gone. So I had to find stuff to occupy myself. And I'll, I'll, I'll get a little artsy here with you. You know what I used to do? I remember doing this. I remember sitting in a rainstorm and looking at the window in my bedroom or driving with my dad uh, as, as the car was going along in a rainstorm. And I would, I would watch the raindrops hit the windshield and see all the patterns they would make. Anybody ever do this? Am I the only weirdo that did this? Thank you very much, man. Appreciate that. That's how bored I was. I watched rain. And uh, as you're going to see in this video that comes up right here, uh, raindrops hit the windshields. And my, my favorite parts were, were, were the raindrops that would hit way up at the top of the window. And then as gravity kind of forced them to come down, they would just suck in all the other drops, right? This is, this is the best depiction I could find on YouTube. But, but I really like the ones that kind of would just... It'd get bigger and bigger. It was like when I was a kid in the north, and uh, we would make these things called snowmen. Water would sometimes become dense, and, and because of the, the cold up there, it would, it would gather on the ground. It's this white thing maybe you've seen in pictures if you're from here. And, and uh, I would go out to build snowmen, 
And, and if, if the temperature was right, you couldn't get, it couldn't be too cold. It had to be like just cold enough that it was snowing, but not so cold that it wouldn't pack. Everybody with me from up there? Who knows what I'm talking about? So you'd start rolling. And this is what you would do. You would, you would, how would you start rolling a snowman? You would start with what? You would just make a snowball. And then you'd put it on the ground. Who's made one of these? And then what do you do? You just start pushing this thing and rolling it along. And then it would start looking like a marshmallow, right? So then you had to flip it on its end so it, you, know, you could round it out. But all you would do is you would just go back and forward uh, across your front yard, picking up snow that existed on the ground and making it a part of one big hole. That's what a snowball is. It's packed in flakes. <laughs> and this is what we understand about our life with Christ. Uh, he has assumed us. He is, he, we are submerged in him. That's why I love baptism. We're going to do that in a little bit. And, of course, baptism is this picture of us being uh, you know, dying to our old self and being raised to a new life with Christ. Us being placed in the grave with Jesus and resurrected to new life with him. It's this great picture. But I, I kind of miss this in some of the symbolism of baptism until this week. We're being lowered, submerged into Christ. And we come back out and we're all wet. He's all over us. We are in him. And that's how God designed it to be. We're not only in Christ, but we're in each other. We're united in the body of Christ. Look what it says in Galatians chapter 3. Uh, Paul writes this, and he says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ, you have put on Christ. Uh, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female, for you are all one. One more time, say it with me. In Christ Jesus. So, so here's, the, here's the great, mm, the, the joy of our salvation, or one of the joys of our salvation, is that we're not just shotgun with Jesus. We are in Jesus, submerged in him. He is, he is uh, our all in all. We, he is the air we breathe. He is everything that we have. He is the, the source and, and the purpose of our lives. And we should revel in that. We should be excited about the fact that we're not just kind of getting, you know, downloads from Jesus from time to time. When I pray, he sends me more of him. No, we have all of him. We are in him. And because we are in him, we are in uh, life with each other. Uh, like those snowflakes that become the big snowball, so is the church. There are, there's one body, but there are many parts. And each of us gets to be a part of each other. We get to be united. And this was Christ's prayer in the garden before he was crucified in John chapter 17. He says this. He says, uh, uh, he says listen, I, I am no longer in the world. My time has come, he says in the previous verse. It's time for me to leave. I am I'm not going to be any longer in this world, but they will remain. They are in the world. And I am coming to you. Holy Father, he prays for his friends and for us these 2,000 years later. He says, keep them, my followers, in your name, which you have given me, that they may be, say it with me, one, even as we are one. We're meant to function in oneness with Christ, in oneness with each other. That's how our Christ life is meant to be lived. We are heirs because we are in Christ. Now, one more thing about us being in Christ, and we'll see that here as we finish this passage. In Christ, uh, we've been sealed with the Spirit. Look what it says in verse uh, 13 here in Ephesians chapter 1. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, Paul speaking to the Ephesians, uh, he says, we've been the first to hope in Christ, but you guys, you, you in Ephesus, you heard tr you, the truth too. You heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed in Jesus, in him, 
and by belief in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. The Spirit is referred to as three things in this couple verses that Paul writes down here. He's referred to as the promise, the promised spirit. He's, uh, he's referred to as our seal. We were sealed in the promised spirit. And he's referred to as the guarantee. So I want to just close talking about those things. First of all, we know that the Holy Spirit was promised because we, we've read our Bibles. If you read Joel chapter 2, some of the other prophets, they talk about this, this coming of the Holy Spirit in future days. Uh, we see that realized in Acts chapter 2, when, uh, in Acts chapter 1, when Jesus says to his friends, hey, uh, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the utmost parts of the earth, right? And he says, I'm going to leave, but here's the deal. I want you to stick around, go to Jerusalem, wait for who? For the Holy Spirit. He's coming. He's the promised Holy Spirit, and certainly he came. And on, in Acts chapter 2, uh, as they waited for the Holy Spirit, there on the day of Pentecost, uh, the Holy Spirit came, and they uh, were empowered, these early followers, to walk down out of uh, the, the room that they were praying in and speak in languages they didn't even know and, and to testify to the, uh, the grace and the gospel of our Savior Jesus Christ. And, and thousands, 3,000 were joined in that church that day. And the Spirit was promised and he was delivered. But he's also spoken of here as the seal. Uh, we have, uh, in verse 13, if you can go back to that one for you, it says, um, that the, we, we believed in Jesus, and when we believed in Jesus, we were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. When we think seals, we think Ziploc, right? Ziploc's awesome. You could take anything that fits in a Ziploc bag and throw it in there and have at least, you know, the assurance uh, that whatever's in there is airtight, watertight. Like, who's ever, you know, back before they were making phone cases that water couldn't get into? Whoever did this when you were, like, going canoeing or something like that with your wallet and your keys. And the Ziploc, it's, it's a brilliant invention. God bless Ziploc. Amen? And when we think of the Holy Spirit, this is what we think of the Holy Spirit being. He's, he's our, our preserver, our protector. Um, he's, he's the one who seals us. And in fact, it, it tells us later in the, in the book, in another uh, usage of this word, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, that we were sealed uh, for our future in the Holy Spirit. And certainly that is this idea of preserving us and protecting us. But here, as Paul's writing about us being sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, he's talking about something different. He's talking about the fact that uh, back in those days, when you would uh, sign your name, you would take a signet ring and, and you would drop some drops of candle wax on a, on a scroll or whatever and, and you'd let that dry a little bit and then you'd take your ring and you'd press it into the, to the, to the wax and that would be the sign of who this was from. In fact, if, if, if you wanted to get you know, really fancy with it, you could use it in almost anything. Like if you wanted to seal a door... Like when they sealed the tomb of Jesus, there was probably placed there some wax with the sign of Caesar that says, hey, Caesar says don't open this door. The seal uh, was a sign of ownership. It was a brand, like a tattoo, like that's mine. Like, like we're way past this in our culture and we should all be glad. But back when I was a kid, um, you would get hand-me-downs. Uh, and maybe it was just a different economic uh, Level, but I would get my cousin's hand-me-downs, and guess what was sewn into the collars of my cousin's hand-me-downs? His his name. They actually you could get tags with your kid's name on it, so that somehow he couldn't remember what color his shirt was that he was wearing that morning, and he took it off at school, which is another weird thing, right? Uh, but if someone came and said, "Hey, whose sweater is this?" and he couldn't remember, you know, he being the only shirtless one in the group, 
you know, if it, you could look inside the label and be like, oh, that's Kent's, that was my cousin's, right? When Kent's stuff came to me, we had to take Kent's name out of it, and, uh, or probably we didn't even do that, it was probably just a Sharpie, but we just wrote over Kent's name because my aunt and uncle had more money, and, uh, and, uh, and we just put Mark, and that's, that was the label, that was the seal, the sign of ownership. So here's what Paul says about us. We've been given a sign of ownership. We're owned. We've talked about that in here. You and I, if we are Christians, and and you and I, or you if you have not yet become a Christian, if you trust in Jesus Christ, at that moment when you put your faith in Jesus, like my friend did on Thursday, you seated yourself. You gave yourself up. You took your title and you said, here you go. Jesus, I'm yours. And Jesus sealed you in the Holy Spirit. And he said, you're mine. And nothing, as as I believe, takes that seal away. We've been sealed in the Spirit, sealed in this promised Spirit, and we've been guaranteed this future inheritance through the Spirit. That's what it says there. It's the guarantee of our inheritance. This word guarantee is the Greek word erebon. Everybody say erebon. Yeah, it reminded me of Cinnabon when I was reading it, and I got kind of hungry. But it, yeah, uh, uh, thank you, Bobby. Yeah, Arabon is, uh, uh, is this great word that, that basically means guarantee or deposit. And it, and it goes beyond just us kind of, you know, throwing a little something at something to, to kind of, you know, have a hope in the future. It's actually like earnest money. Who's ever bought a house? If you buy a house and you want to take it off the market, the, the seller will say, well, you've got to put up some earnest money. That's, you know, for me, you know, until you figure out your financing and all this stuff gets settled. This is, but here's the deal. If you give me the earnest money, it will apply to the purchase of the house. You just have to put it there uh, until we, we finalize the deal. That's what, that's what this is. The Arabon, this guarantee, is the earnest money. The Holy Spirit that we have in us now is just a sampling it's just the beginning. We have him in our fullness, but his fullness is limited by the, 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 the brokenness of our world. When we are freed from these sinful bodies in this sinful place, we will experience the fullness of the Holy Spirit, but we have been given a deposit, a guarantee, a sampling of who he is in this life that we live now. That's why in the song that we sang right before I got up here, a song written by a, 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 a blind lady, her name was Fanny Crosby in the 1870s, um, uh, she wanted to, to kind of catch this idea of us having uh, the already not yet life that we have with Jesus. And so he wrote, she wrote, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Anybody ever, ever sang something and you're like, what's a foretaste? Sample. It's an Arabon. It's just this, this little bit or this this. Taste, this, this ahead of time taste of what we're going to receive when we get to heaven. So here's what that means. That means that as great as life is here with Jesus, what awaits us blows us away. Like think about the times that you've felt the closest to your God ever. Like when you were singing that song, whether it was in this church or some other church, and you were worshiping and you were like, oh, I don't know what's happening. I, I, I sense God's presence and I'm wanting to honor him with my praise. And, and you're usually, you know, a six o'clock hand per, you know, person when it comes to worship. They're straight down and they're not moving. But all of a sudden in this one particular instance, your hands just lifted and you're like, what's going on? What are those doing up there? And you're just worshiping God and you're filled with the spirit and you're sensing the presence of God. As great as that was, it's just a foretaste. It doesn't begin to describe what awaits us in glory. Remember that time when you were 
following the Spirit's leading and you were wonderfully used and serving someone else's life? Just a foretaste. Remember that time that you were satisfied and finding the fruits of the Spirit surprising you with goodness and kindness where you once responded wickedly in that same situation? It's just a foretaste. Just a foretaste. Oh, I've loved preaching these sermons to you because it's reminded me of the blessings that we have in Christ. We've been given so much. And I don't know about you, sometimes I came to church as a Christian, you know, being like, all right, come on, impress me, buddy. Say something I don't know. I already knew that. And then I'd go home. And I'd kind of walk in here, and it was, I don't know, showtime. That's how I perceived it. You know, don't bore me. As if the Christian life could ever be boring. Are you kidding me? We are blessed beyond measure. We can't even put this into words. That's why Paul doesn't use punctuation. His hand can't move fast enough as he talks about the blessings that we have in Christ. He's chosen us when we were unworthy and deserved judgment. He's redeemed us when we could never pay our price. He has given us an inheritance that we could never deserve. He sealed us in his spirit and he's made us his own. Ah. Oh. If you listen, here's what my hope is for you. I hope you walk out of here amazed, agog in awe of the blessings that you have in Christ. Every week, not just this week, but every week. Walk out of here just scraping your jaw off the floor at the goodness of your Savior, Jesus. Walk out of here today living like you're owned. I was talking with one of the people who got uh, baptized yesterday. Her name's Stephanie, and, and, and everybody gets to say why they're being baptized here at our church. And she said what I think is just a great, she says, listen, I've known Jesus for a long time, uh, but this is my way of saying I'm all in. I'm all in. This was her signal, her symbol. Being baptized was just her reminding herself, okay, Jesus isn't my, you know, shotgun. I'm in him. And if I'm in him, I want to be all in. And I want to serve him with a full heart. So leave here today living like your own. Leave here today not being ruled by your feelings or ruled by the actions or, or reactions of other people. Leave here today living for Christ by the power of Christ so that Christ gets the glory in your life. And let's stand as we sing this song of blessing to him. I sing it different than we sang it. Just follow me. Blessed assurance. I'm not singing that song at all. Blessed assurance. Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. This is my story, sing. This is my story, this is my song. Praising my Savior 
all the day long. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. Praising my Savior all the day long. Can you pray with me? Lord, help us to live in the perpetual woohoo that is this life with you. To see the blessings despite our circumstances to know that we are in you, bought by you, uh, sustained through you. Now may all that we do and all that we are be for you. Uh, we thank you that we have that opportunity, that you chose us to choose you and that we can follow you this day. Uh, with every day, uh, we can respond to these blessings. Help us to do that, to live like we're owned, to live in the joy of our salvation. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.